This episode is one that came about in response to a conversation I had with one of our listeners. So there's this thing about being a guy. Most of us, I think, don't want to be perceived as creepy. And many guys are certainly not creepy. But at the same time, guys frequently act in creepy ways at work, on the web, and in other social situations. That creepiness has a negative effect on flourishing. And so in this episode, we explore what creepiness is, what leaders and organizations might do about it, and we provide some advice for people who are directly targeted by creepy guys, as well as some advice for men in general on this topic. Hey, so after recording this episode, we received some really great feedback from a number of listeners, and we have a little conversation about that at the end of this episode. So please stay tuned and listen in to our good friend Kelsey Pitlick for thoughts and conversation. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Yeah, creeps! <laughs> you're gonna see it like it makes your skin crawl. You're like, is that Ugh. slime? Is that slime on me? I, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a full sleeve dress shirt. I, how could I have slime on my arm? You feel the slime, right? I don't know why I relate creepiness with like ectoplasma, but I do, right? It's so gross. Ugh. Right. So for the purposes of this episode, we are focusing on a specific kind of segment of creepiness, I suppose. We're focusing specifically on men. We're focusing on men who are creepy at work. And like I said in my intro, not all men are creepy. In fact, I would say that most of us aren't uh, creepy. I don't have data on that. It's kind of a hard thing to measure, right? But um, we are focusing on the male dynamic here in terms of men being creepy almost exclusively to women. Of course, it can come in all shapes and sizes and go in all different directions. But that's kind of the angle we're taking today in response to what we perceive as probably the most common type of creepiness, as well as what our dear listener that I talked with about this uh, topic uh, had in mind. Yeah, think about any kind of table game that you'd play, like when the lights are out or something, you know, a Pictionary or something. If you had to draw Wait, a you, creep. You play Pictionary with the lights out? I mean, I mean, if it's daytime, sometimes you have nighttime outages. I, you know, whatever. Anyway, it's a time you're forced to get off the screen and talk to the people under your roof, right? Hopefully you're doing that already. Anyway, back to the point, Ben. That Pictionary or something like that. And the word you get on the secret card that you can't show everybody, but you got to draw and they got to guess says creep. Mm. Well, I guarantee you. You're not drawing a female stick figure for the creep sign, right? I mean, like, that, and that's how ubiquitous it is. I'm not saying, I mean, if you find a female creep, I'm sure they're out there. Maybe we could do like some research on all six of them in the United States or something. But it's generally a dude, right? Right. And so just some common examples of this. And so we're going to talk about what we even mean by creepy here. And we're going to dig into that, see what the research says. But you know, just some common examples that I've seen that I've talked about with other people that they've shared with me. You know, this is the guy who, you know, maybe goes around and is overly affectionate, especially with the young females in the office, you know, goes around and, and always, for some reason, insists on giving them a hug and a quick peck on the cheek. Right. And, it, you know, that it just makes people uncomfortable. 
Um, other types of physical affection, perhaps, that make people uncomfortable. Now, of course, this can go right into, this is a slippery slope, I think, you know, not to make a logical fallacy here, but it can morph into uh, downright sexual harassment, right? Creating that hostile work environment, maybe some quid pro quo type of stuff, really ugly things. And, uh, you know, the truth is, is it, it, this is a fairly common thing. We see this with a lot of high profile guys out there. It happens. Yeah, and I don't know if it's a generational thing completely, but I remember watching an old James Bond movie where he, like, saves the gal. I guess, you know, she was kidnapped by the bad guys, and he's like, all right, get in the car, honey, and, like, taps her butt. And I was like, whoa, that didn't age well. But you know the kind of thing that I'd see in the South that sometimes, you know, when I came out of college and stuff, um, that women that were my same age would complain about when we were at lunch is, like, old dude would open the door and then put his hand in the small of the female's back and usher her all on in the door. Mm. Now I, I wasn't, I'm not an old dude, not I'm middle-aged right now. Right. But I'm not from that generation, but possibly that was a generational norm at the time. Right. right? I mean, a hand on the back in the end is not, I don't know, but it makes people feel ew. It's like, is this guy a creep or what? Sure. And it can. It certainly can make people feel creepy. And I'm just, I, I think we could probably argue and point to some evidence that some of these norms have shifted over time. But I think the point is that, you know, we need to be in touch with what what people perceive as creepy. And it is in the eye of the beholder. Just because I don't think I'm being creepy doesn't make it cre not creepy. Right. It, it, the creepiness matters from whoever it's being perpetrated upon. And, you know, I don't know if it's hubris or some other driver of this creepiness, this um, feeling like you can get away with this type of behavior. But we do see this with the high profile pe people. We see politicians. We see, you know, people. In Cuomo. Yeah, we see uh, people. R. In Kelly, although his stuff yeah. was way worse than being creepy. For sure. Yeah. So we see people <laughs> in entertainment. We see people in high level business uh, positions, right, who are uh, doing these types of things. So those are just some kind of basic examples of what we're talking about here. But I think what would be helpful is let's look at the research. What are, you know, what might we learn from some of the research on creepiness? And I think the place to start perhaps is with some definitions of what constitutes creepy and maybe about, you know, what are some of the behaviors that are perceived as creepy? Uh, and let's go through that a little bit. So you came across a great article that was actually posted on TED Ideas, and we'll post a link to this in the show notes. But this comes from psychologist Julia Shaw, and uh, she, in that article, um, outlines and summarizes a lot of the research on creepiness. So let's go through a little bit of this and uh, talk about some of these behaviors. Yeah, so they kind of did like a nerdy study version of the Pictionary test I talked about, <laughs> right? They asked uh, 1,341 people, so about 1,300 people, right? Said, hey, think of a close friend whose judgment you trust. And imagine they've just met for the first time, and they tell you the person was creepy. What, you know, what made that person creepy? And, and here's the list. The number one... Well, first of all, first of yeah. all... <laughs> they, they note that almost all 95.3% of the participants stated that men were more likely to be creepy than women. So there's some evidence um, seems fairly overwhelming uh, that, uh, that this seems to be a, a men thing, but let's talk about some of these different uh, characteristics of a creepy person. So 
Let's go. Yeah. So that the first one, the person stood too close to your friend. Mm. So close, you know, and that could also probably be like some of those close talkers and the old Seinfeld stuff, right? Yeah. And especially now that we've gotten used to being six feet away from people for the past year and a half due to social distancing during COVID, uh, you know, too close might be, uh, you, 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 you could be a little bit farther away and still be considered too close sometimes. Yeah, there's a research project there. It's like post-COVID, the normal bounds of acceptable <laughs> standing were six inches further, you know. That's right. So standing too close to somebody. Uh, greasy hair. Huh. A peculiar smile. And, you know, that could be like, I don't know, like, can people, when something hits your funny bone and you just smile, maybe it just looked yeah. Maybe you have a bad smile so really on the creepiness yeah. insects, what's right? really interesting. As we go through these, we're going to see that some of these are just things, a physical appearance things that may not be necessarily something that someone can change. So it might be unfair sometimes to characterize someone as creepy. Okay, so peculiar smile, bulging eyes. The person had long fingers, unkempt hair. So not only greasy, but also unkempt. Very bad. Yeah, like a great concert <laughs> pianist. You're like, well, they're 10% more creepy than the non-long-fingered ones. <laughs> Having very pale skin, um, bags under your eyes, being dressed oddly. Interesting. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like the person licked his or her lips frequently. You know, maybe they just need some chapstick, you know? <laughs> or, or maybe they just had some Cheetos and they just really want to taste them again. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Funyuns, something, right? <laughs> Dirty clothes. Right, which okay. is great. Some of these are great. You know, hey, am I going to work in dirty clothes? Hey, easy step. Don't go to work in dirty clothes. Yeah, I think that we could probably make that a good recommendation for all of our podcast listeners across many different situations. You know, clean clothes are probably pre preferable to dirty ones. Uh, laughing at unpredictable times. Um, making it nearly impossible for your friend to leave the conversation without appearing rude. So not only standing too close, but also kind of engaging in this conversation that's that doesn't seem to let the person have a way out, right? And then relentlessly, re relentlessly steering the conversation toward one topic, right? So these are all, these are just 14 of the most likely characteristics of a creepy person, according to this one study. Yeah. And, you know, I think about because I do some work with people, you know, and have had clients that are on the autism spectrum. Right. And laughing at unpredictable times or, you know, hyper focus on one topic that can be a common trait for people with autism. Mm -hmm. But people with autism deserve to be in the world and they're not creepy. Right. Right. Yeah. So so much of this seems to be first impression, uh, perhaps you know, physical characteristics that may or may not be necessarily changeable, right? So if I have long fingers, it's not like I can go train myself to have shorter fingers. Now, if I have greasy hair or I stand too close next to people, I can change those things. Uh, so, you know, one note of caution that I think is really important here is I think we should all be more intentional in our diagnoses of situations that are creepy or of people that are creepy. Because it, uh, you know, you got to think, am I thinking that just because of one of these other characteristics, or is it something that's more specific, more of a behavior, something that they're do doing that is clearly outside the, the bounds of, uh, you know, social or cultural norms? Yeah, and I think, you know, if I'm putting my, if I'm a girl hat on, right, uh, there's nothing but downside risk here. 
You know, and I get this from lots of, you know, female executives that I've talked to or worked with and coached or just friends. You know, hey, if I give somebody the benefit of the doubt, I take the downside risk of them ending up being a creep. But if I just treat all guys as creeps, you know, that's no downside risk per se. You know, unless I just need take the risk on an executive who can help me get promoted rather than the yo-yo next to me or Wait, below. So are you saying right? that you saying that women should treat all men as creeps? Well, I'm just saying the calculus that a lot of people take has to do with that. But here here's the problem about that, Ben, and, and alludes to this stuff. What does the research say about people being able to assess if somebody's a creep? Yeah, we're not very good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, if you flip a coin, the coin's going to guess better than you are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I think to your point, right? So um, actually, I remember hearing a comic. I don't remember which comic it was, but it was basically saying that, you know, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to women? It's men, right? In terms of violence towards women, other types of, you know, Problems. Yeah, the, uh, the old, a yeah. woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle type, yeah. you know, so, thing. Um, you know, and, and I think that there's, so it's it's slightly humorous, but there is a, a grain there uh, of truth. So, you know, maybe if if a woman has, for example, been through some really traumatic issues of stalking or really, you know, assault, other really nasty things at the behest of men, right, that they're probably going to be more wary and it makes sense for them to treat every situation as, hey, potential creepo here. So, um, you know, I, I think it's it, it's something that we we should be mindful of as men and we're going to provide some some ideas on how to deal with it here. Yeah, and we don't want to marginalize people that have, yeah. you know, like one of them, their eyes are bugging out. Like who wants to have bugging out eyes? But does it matter if somebody's eyes are bugging out? Like they can see their computer screen, they can drive their car. You know, you know. I had a youth pastor tell me once, it's like, hey, listen, you, you shouldn't really be a criticizer, but be careful, like you said, Ben, like, a, like of criticizing features that people can't change. Yeah, because you think about some of those things, it's like, oh, just because this person is different, I'm seeing them as creepy. Just because they're not doing the popular thing. Right. Um, or they, they don't have kind of a, a smooth persona. Well, you know, just because of that, we, we shouldn't be, you know, ostracizing them, certainly shouldn't be marginalizing them in any way uh, and, and not seeing them as creepy just because of those things. Uh, so we don't do this very well as humans. We can't really tell whether or not someone's creepy or not. But I, I think, it, you know, part of this has to do with these issues that we have with first impressions. So we have first impressions that hit us, as we've talked about in other episodes, you know, within nanoseconds, we oftentimes create first impressions. And, you know, when we went through that list of various things related to creepiness and creepy creepiness perceptions, uh, there's there are many visual aspects to this. Um, I, I, I would encourage people to maybe focus more on behaviors. And, you know, just because someone maybe has greasy hair doesn't necessarily mean they're creepy, right? But if they are, uh, you know, displaying affection in really, you know, in inappropriate ways, if they're doing some of these other types of behaviors, that's something that we, you, first of all, avoid that if you are a guy. And second of all, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but you need to deal with that um, quickly as, you know, if it's happening. Yeah, and Ben, this stuff cuts the other way. It's called the halo effect, where we give the benefit of the doubt to attractive people. Man, that person, wow, 
you know, I mm-hmm. and and yeah, guess what? There is, I guess, based on social norms, there's a zone of attractiveness or not so attractive, you know. And so, like, maybe on one side, just on the looks perspective, you got creepy a little bit. But on the other side, you could have a total creep in sheep's clothing. Yeah, so that's a really good point. So we're making a couple different distinctions here among different types of creepiness. So there's the creepiness that maybe is unintentional. It's due to maybe it's a feature of my body, (laughs) right? Having long fingers and pale skin. Gosh. Or it could be something where maybe I have a, a very, maybe it's, you know, high level of attractiveness. Um, you know, I'm very good at talking with people. Ben uh, and- suffers from this, like, <laughs> extremely. Don't, don't misjudge him, though. He's a jack wagon like all of us. <laughs> and then perhaps, you know, on top of that, you, you're do- engaging in these behaviors that, that are creepy. So it could be the, the really good looking guy who, you know has a couple drinks or maybe it doesn't have anything to do with alcohol, whatever at the parties and then goes around and is overly affectionate with the, the young ladies in the office or the ladies of any age. That is creepy behavior. And that's particularly, I think what we want to be addressing here in this episode is how to avoid that because those are the ones that seem to oftentimes or have the potential to move down what we'll talk about here in a minute, this continuum of harm where you're moving from having an awesome workplace where people are truly valued for who they are, moving all the way to physical harm to someone. And there's a, there's a, there are many different things in between there. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, another place, and this doesn't have to do with physical looks, but just structural authority within the organization can make you, and I'm not going to say attractive, right? I'm going to say socially attractive. So if you're a partner at your firm and you have a bunch of junior accountants that report to you or something, and you have everybody over to your house for the Christmas party. Well, if you're okay with staying late, you know, some of those, you know, they're movers and shakers. They want to move up the firm. They're going to take that time to have some outside the work FaceTime with the boss. And I Ben says this all the time. You know, the higher up the org, your jokes get funnier. Yeah. Well, this is a case where you can become a creep depending how you curate that extra social attention you get just from being in a higher position. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing, guys. Just go into every situation assuming that people that you are not attractive like people are not paying attention to you because they want something physical with you <laughs> they are probably paying attention to you they're being nice to you they're laughing at your jokes perhaps because they they want to get to know you professionally they maybe want to benefit from you in a net- networking way they maybe want to learn from you in a mentoring relationship just keep the line there yeah just pretend you're chris everett Nobody wants to talk to him at a party. <laughs> <laughs> or they do for a while and then they then they walk away. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so let's let's talk about how should leaders and organizations deal with this, right? Right, right. And I, I think this really comes back to setting some positive norms in your organization. And this is, I mean, it's it's an easy thing to say, it's harder to actually do. But this is where you have to have a norm of valuing people uh, really, really high on your priority list, right? You know, as you oftentimes say, Chris, you want an organization where everyone is firing on all cylinders. You don't want people who are 
underperforming because they feel ostracized or because they feel threatened by other people at work or they feel like they have to walk on eggshells when they're around certain people or or they they perceive that you know uh th- there are any of these other you know related issues so i think having that norm and then having real conversations about what that means you know in in the workplace and in work associated i'll call them social situations you know maybe it's the holiday party or it's you know people getting together for lunch or drinks or whatever. And I, I think having that be part of maybe your onboarding in the organization, uh, have it be part of some different policies, right? You can't make a policy for everything, but you can certainly have certain policies around, you know, I hope you have some policies around sexual harassment and, and those types of things in your employee handbook. Yeah. Just think about how you want to be treated because you've got to get, if you don't, feel this way naturally, you're going to have to do some extra work here. I'm just going to say, like, you're not a very good person at this moment. That's okay. You can get better. Let me tell you how. First of all, think about, oh, this person's just talking to me so they can get a promotion. How's that make you feel like a person? (laughs) Right? This person wants to sleep with me so they might get ahead or a special assignment. How's that make, I mean, hey, you might say, you know, thanks for the sex, but that's existentially horrible. You're just a transaction. And this is the kind of stuff that leads to the dehumanization. It doesn't start there, but this is the kind of stuff that leads to the dehumanization of women globally that causes sex trafficking and the, the kind of stuff that R. Kelly was involved with that causes, and these people are someone's sons and daughters, Right. And so just think about how do you want to be treated? How would you like to be seen by the people around you? And if you don't feel that way about people at society writ large, right? Now, it's not that you have to know everybody and love everybody, but you do at a base human level. If you don't have that just intuitively, then you need to do like go check in with a therapist and you need to like, you, you got to you have some screw looses screws that are loose that you need to tighten up in yourself personally. Right, right. Yeah, I think a lot of this comes back to having a, a solid moral compass and deep character. Right. And um, I think that that conversation that you should have in your organization around how we treat people with dignity and respect it certainly should be one that is gender agnostic, right? This is because certainly, although we're focusing in this episode on the dudes being uh, creepy towards the ladies, certainly can happen in all kinds of different ways, all kinds of different age combinations and so forth. So that's where I think you can have this conversation in a way that just sets the the playing field and says, this is how we want to be as an organization. Uh, we have to literally beg sometimes executives to value their people, right? And they all say it in, on their websites, though. Yeah, val- <laughs> integrity, all this stuff, and and it's baloney. Like, and this is how it's insidious how it shows up unless you kind of pull the covers back and reveal that you know your hotel's full of bed bugs. But the thing is, they'll be like, "Oh, well, that's just a working class person. Oh, that's our frontline staff," or "Oh." All of us and the executives just decided to work home at COVID and weren't thankful for the frontline critical staff who served up groceries every day to our community, right? And and this is a, you know, if you see that, I bet you're more likely to see some of this kind of creepy behavior because there's a devaluing 
of others. And you've got a value. If you want to show, if you want to be concerned, well, are my mid, mid-market managers or my mid-level managers or VPs, are, how do I know if they're valuing other people well? Well, you can assess that stuff through different means. But here's a question. Are you modeling at the C-suite valuing each other? Are you right. modeling valuing people at different tiers and levels of the organization? Because I tell you what, come the zombie apocalypse, nobody cares how many shares of Berkshire Hathaway you own. Right. <laughs> they they care. It's like, hey, man, are you going to help me find our way back to whatever post-apocalypse shelter that there is? Right. And so you've got to model that. And so when we say set the norms of valuing people, you know, it's almost like, oh, this in one ear out the other. What? But let what that means is a whole change in paradigm of the operating system of your organization where everybody's modeling that behavior, you're evaluating that behavior, you're chastising lack of that behavior, and up and down the line all over in a place where there's more creeps in a community where you don't value people. Right. So I think there's another important piece here, and we alluded to this earlier, but it's important for leaders in any organization to think carefully about this this whole creepiness topic and distinguish between those creepy behaviors and those perhaps characteristics, those physical characteristics, those appearances that we can see as creepy, because, you know, those there's, there's a, not a, not a big correlation between those behaviors and behaviors. Right. Um, And so some people in your organization may not even realize that they're making other people feel uncomfortable. Now, this does not mean that you should always give people the benefit of the doubt that you should just, oh, it's just so-and-so they just do this. Right. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean you can have a conversation with those people. It means that you can and should call it out when you see it. And maybe it's, maybe there are cultural differences. Maybe, you know, for example, we were talking when we were prepping for this episode that, you know, in certain cultures, it's much more common to stand really close to someone when you're talking to them, right? Than it is in our Western cultures. Now you may see that as really creepy if someone's doing that and you're not used to it, but that's something that's, that, that's an easy thing to deal with, Right. Uh, relatively, where you can say, look, hey, understand that this is how things operate in your culture. Now, I, I, you're an awesome professional, and I know that you want to be perceived in the best way possible. Here's how people kind of look at that if you do that here. So for your own benefit, here's perhaps some guidelines for how you should behave, you know? Um, so that, that's one thing. So, But calling out when you see it, I think, is really important. This is one of those things where it's going to take some moral courage. If you see someone, for example, getting frisky at the holiday party and it is clearly, you know, unwanted and maybe it's a, there's a power dynamic, maybe it's an eight big age differential, maybe someone really senior and someone really junior, that should be a sign to you that you should go pull someone aside, the person who's doing it, right, <laughs> and and say, look. Your I, Uber's I, here. I, I didn't call Uber's an Uber. I, no, I did. And you're getting in it, buddy. <laughs> I think that would be good. You, you could you could kick them out of your party and have the Uber waiting for them and say, look, here's what I'm noticing here. You know, regardless of whether or not you recognize this as being something, a problem, it, perception matters. Perception matters greatly because if you ignore that type of behavior as a leader in the organization, then that sends a clear signal to all the other people who saw that and saw you seeing that, that you're tolerating it, that it's acceptable. You become what you tolerate in your organizations. Now, it doesn't have to be this giant emotionally overladen thing. 
Right. Like I can think of that story you told me where the senior uh, Dutch officer with the, uh, you know, when he was leaving, the senior guy that you guys were mentoring. In well, Afghanistan, that, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. That Well, say it. Tell the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were leaving Afghanistan and or one of my coworkers was leaving Afghanistan. And uh, he was saying goodbye to the Afghan colonel whom we had been trying to mentor for a number of months. And uh, as we were getting up to leave, this Afghan colonel was escorting him out uh, of the building. And uh, as they're walking down the hallway, I was behind them. And he just reached over and he took the guy's hand. And they're walking hand in hand down the hallway. That's a cultural norm in certain parts of the world. Like we, we would not really see that as being normal in Western culture. But it was there. Yeah. And another one is I went to a conservative, conservative evangelical undergrad school. And, you know, every propriety. And we went out to the we had a lake party, a bunch of college students. Well, Hans, who was there from like Switzerland or something to study organ performance, because it's one of the few places that teaches like awesome organ performance. Well, he just gets out there and strips out naked in front of everybody and no. puts on his. Yeah, he puts on his overly tight Italian, you know, swimsuit. I don't know those European suits, you know, that and and then I mean, we gave him the mulligan because. But, you know, afterwards we were like, hey, Hans, buddy, at, at this college, at this college, that just that just we don't even have a nude beach in the state of Oklahoma. OK, that they don't exist. So but, you, you know, like it was OK, because, you know, you could tell some of the intent. But let me tell you where you really want to come down on this hard. And, and guys should help police other guys with this. We've all been in a place where this person's the way they act in the workplace is kind of on point, right? Like it's fine, but then you're mm -hmm. out at a lunch or a happy hour and they say the most atrocious garbage about women. You know, oh, they're all just pieces of meat or, you know, weird, weird stuff. Like that's where you just need to come down hard, especially if you have like some organizational authority. It's like, listen, when you say that kind of stuff without anybody prompting you, and away from the workplace, that lets me know that the kind of thinking going under under that side of that lid of a brain of yours is horrible. It's mm -hmm. stinking thinking, right? And what kind of stinking thinking? That's where you could just maybe even pull that guy off. Like, listen, when you say that kind of garbage, it lets me know that you have stinking thinking. And why would I want – let me know right now. Why would I want that in my organization? I better not hear that garbage from you again because I need to know that you can wield, you know, polite – norms within our group and that you're not just some sicko weirdo hanging out in the office you numbskull right and i think one of the best things you said there is that you know men need to be policing other or other men on this right when they're talking about um you know either talking about other women or having you know jokes and all that kind of stuff you have to have the moral courage to say something because uh, otherwise it just perpetuates it and makes it seem tacitly okay so that's that's and not women help can anybody. do it for women who don't think that they can be bold and do it let me give you an example and you can and it kind of ices things oh, sure. out like there's this one girl that was asked you know she had the key card to get into the building and she was how you know they had a team of contractors that were there and one guy asks for hey well can i get your cell number in case i'm late you can let me in the building and she's like hey i'm gonna give you my cell number but don't ever call me personally. Yeah. Like, and I mean, that was fine. Guy was like, hey, no problem. Like you can just set that norm. And that wasn't like, ew, or awful, or just set those norms. Like, 
Hey, Gary, I know you touch people's backs when they go in the door, but I don't even care if you open the door for me, honestly. And really touching my back would make me feel uncomfortable. Just giving you the heads up. We cool? Yeah. Like, do you see how you can be super direct mm-hmm. and not? And don't worry. Listen, some ladies like, I don't want to be perceived as a total B-I-T-C-H, right? And guess what? You would not believe the stuff that guys call each other. You know, behind the, <laughs> behind my back, the boys might think I'm a jerk. And it's like, dude, guys think that each other are a jerk. If you're being a jerk drawing boundaries in a polite and respectful way, great. Be that jerk. Yeah, it's and not to, no not, problem. To mention, not to mention, think about it this way. Take a take a step back, you know, take the eleva- the uh, helicopter up to a higher elevation and look down on that situation and think, okay, so I stood up for myself and I called out something that was inappropriate. And everybody hated me for it. Well, is that a place you want to be anyway? Probably not, right? If if the, if the culture is so bad that your dissent at, at something that is inappropriate is treated with malice and contempt, then you know what? They don't deserve you. You know, go 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 get a different job. Yeah, put on the Lizzo record. Get your hails, hair done. Check your nails and get out. You know, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think another thing that leaders and organizations should do here is really making sure that you have a way within the organization that people can report stuff going on uh, like this, people being creepy, right? Uh, people put making them feel uncomfortable, people doing um, all, all the way up to, you know, sexual harassment and, you know, God forbid, assault, uh, and that they have a way to do that in good faith. Um, most organizations have something. They have perhaps a um, you know a hotline of some sort, and there's various ways to do this. Uh, another way is just to make sure that as a leadership team, you really have a high level of psychological safety within the group, where people feel like they can raise these types of issues. Uh, so that that's really important. Now, Ben, this was new to me, but I thought it was so awesome that you brought up the idea of the continuum of harm. And the Navy uses this. This is so good. I'm going to take it to my unit in the army. So Ben, tell us about the continuum of harm. Yeah. So there's a big effort and this is not just in the Navy, but it's, it's U S military wide where we really want to reduce destructive behaviors and destructive behaviors could be uh, oftentimes it's, it's, you know, alcohol related incidents. It's suicide for sure. Uh, Another big one is sexual assault. And when we're thinking about sexual assault in the workplace and in the military, I think this idea of the continuum of continuum of harm is a really helpful one, because what this suggests is that there's you know this sliding scale um, from one end of healthy environment in the organization all the way over to the other side, which is where you have uh, instances of sexual assault, or it could be you know some other type of egregious activity. And there's a lot of things, clues that you could pick up on along the way that are moving toward the bad end of that spectrum, right? What you want as an organization and what certainly uh, the U.S. military wants across all of its branches is a healthy environment, one in which you have a climate in which uh, dignity and respect are the values that are expected and supported and rewarded by leaders. Now, you move a little bit towards the other end of the spectrum, and then you start seeing maybe, you know, gender-focused jokes. You maybe hear people making certain types of comments. Uh, Maybe vulgar pictures are displayed, those types of things. And it moves along an increasingly more severe 
continuum all the way until there's, uh, you know, no kidding, illegal activity and violence. Yeah. What's funny is there's only one green stripe on this chart. When you get past healthy environment, you're immediately off the cliff. <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 like, all, you're, you're in like, yellow already. Yeah. You're like that guy on Austin Powers where he gets he presses a button and he's like, help, I'm really badly burned. Right. You're broken down the chute. Right. If you have gender focused jokes and let me show how insidious these are. Well, you know, girls do this. Like, no, what? You know, the boys or even even refer even referring to the men in your, or the women in your workplace as girls is. Yeah. Hey, Ben, make, go get the girls weird. and we'll all go to lunch. Right. Oh, like, please. And sexual comments like that. I mean, this like immediately they're not OK. Vulgar pictures. I've been in environments where people now, you know, we go into these cultures to help fix them. But they're like, hey, look at this dirty picture. And you're like, man, you, what are you doing? Man, we got to talk about. Okay, now we know what we got to start the engagement on. We got to talk about <laughs> sexual harassment. Like, don't show me nudie pics at work. Don't show them. Don't show them to me ever. Right. But like immediately out, anything outside of healthy environment is unhealthy. Now, definitely there's a perspective. You know, if I'd rather somebody make a gender joke versus, you know, sexual touching or something, which is on the end of sexual assault, but you're still not. That's why you got to look for those early signs so you can steer it back into the green because it's hard to go to full on sexual assault in a culture that doesn't even have gender focused jokes. It's really right. hard to get there. Yeah. And these things can maybe uh, be indicators or weak signals that you're moving off the rails. And what's I think a, a nice way to think about this, too, and this is something that the U.S. military uh, includes in this model, is that across the entire spectrum is where you need to have leadership engagement to promote and sustain that healthy climate. Uh, I mean, it's kind of ingrained in me, maybe, and I'm sure it is in you from our years working with the military, but leadership is key to all of this. And you have to start this at the top, and you can't just stop there. You also have to kind of know what's going on at lower levels and create an environment in which people can tell you if things are not going well. And then when they tell you that things are not going well, don't shoot them in the face, metaphorically or really, right? Um, you need to accept that bad news and start to deal with it productively. Right. And one of the things to overlay on this is the fact that a lot of people have sex with people they work with. Mm. You know, it's, you know, it's, we did a whole episode about what do we call it? Love in the elevator or something? <laughs> you know, I can't. Yeah. Great episode. Go check that one out. But because people work so much, sometimes they do have romantic relationships within the workplace and setting up norms. You know, you can't forbid it. People are people. You know, Mother Nature is going to do the Mother Nature thing here. But you need to talk about, you know, what might those relationships look like in the workplace? We have norms like people can't have a re romantic relationship with a subordinate or maybe even somebody in the same department. You know, you can have some of these rules, but you need to talk about what consent, what, you know, okay, green light relationships look like within an organization and what this landscape of not being creepy in the workplace looks like and needs to look like. Sure, sure. So maybe now let's move more towards some advice uh, for people who are maybe being directly directly targeted by creepy guys. You know, so if you are 
Uh, most In most situations, this is a woman who is being targeted by a creepy guy at work. What they can do, and then maybe some advice for guys in general related to this topic. So let's speak directly to our female audience. I know we're generalizing here, but let's talk to them and what they potentially can do if they're experiencing some of this garbage uh, or if they want to, you know, have some tools in their toolbox, you know, in the event that they do experience this at work. Uh, those those guys who are directing creepy behavior at them. And again, we're not talking uh, simply about those, you know, the geeky folks, the the guys who have unintentional aspects of their persona that that maybe aren't mainstream. You know, this is not just like, oh, what do I do about the guy who has long fingers and pale skin at my work? No, that, that's that's irrelevant here. Let's talk about those times when people are actually being creepy toward you. Yeah, got to get that mace. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> actually, it's not a bad idea. So listen, we the first time I ran into this was when, you know, before I was a consultant and all that stuff. And there was somebody that talked to me and this other guy. It's like, hey, listen, this dude is following me to my bus stop and like texting me because they listed what company does this listed her personal cell phone in the employee directory. Hmm. And so this guy would like tech follow her like to the bus stop from like 10 feet away. He didn't even ride the bus. Right. That's I was just like, listen, maybe if he got on the bus, I'd be like, oh, but, but kept doing it. So we said, no problem. You know, did we talk? Did you talk to the manager and everything? Happy to go with you. You know, it's like I did. And they don't seem to be doing anything. That's so I was like, that's all right. Me and other dude. We just went and we I was like, sure enough, this guy was following her. And so we just went and said, listen, it's big problem for you. If you follow this person to this bus again, don't make it a big problem. Right. So that's to say enlist some other allies. If you can't get it from your direct support, lots of times social pressure is all you need. Right. Right. Another thing you can do is certainly be aware of what policies you have in the organization. Review your employee handbook, see what types of avenues you might have, see what types of policies are in place so that if you do need to escalate something and talk to your manager, talk to HR, formally complain about something. Uh, then you'll know how to do it because you might need to escalate something to your manager or to the HR department. Now, if it is your manager, then that's going to be an issue that maybe you need to go around that person and go directly to HR or go to maybe that person's supervisor even. Right. And the important thing about this continuum is it seldom, I mean, only real freaking weirdos go all the way to the sexual assault from zero, Right. And in the workplace, I mean, we're talking about creeps, right? And there tends to be a little bit of a sexual element. Um, we already talked about people looking creepy versus being actually creepy. If somebody's just accidentally creepy because they're super socially awkward, you know, just give them some prompts to let them know what the norms are. Hey, yeah. when you do that, that's creepy. Please knock it off. You don't have to worry about holding his hand, being nice, you know, just let them know in uncertain terms. And if you see that person instantly adjusted, congratulations. It wasn't your responsibility, but you helped clean up some of the detritus that <laughs> exists in the male's base. You get a merit badge, right? So, <laughs> but the whole thing is you don't let it slide down that continuum of behavior in case you're dealing with an actual creep, right? right. You know, that actual creep needs to be put on warning, escalated and headed off by allies, and then ultimately fired. And hopefully the unemployment line will help that guy learn, 
right? <laughs> right. So I, I also think it's just important to, you know, don't suffer in silence. Uh, it's not good for you. It's not good for the organization. Certainly, as you mentioned, it could escalate into something more serious. And if this continues, right, and, and you're, not, you're not getting the support from people around you, you're not getting support from your manager, uh, don't let this continue to take its toll because it will on your productivity, on your career, on your well-being, if necessary, quit, right? And I, I you know, don't don't put up with this for uh for for any longer than you need to. Yeah, get out of there. As a matter of fact, forget about the two-week notice if they won't do anything about it. <laughs> you know? If yeah. they want to exit interview, just say, Yeah, you guys stink. Okay. <laughs> There's your exit interview. <laughs> now, we've talked about all these different things that you can do if you're being targeted by creepy people. By creepy men. And, uh, you know, that's all fine and good, but it also is like, oh, so so now I'm getting targeted by creepy people and I've got to do something, right? So should you guys just not be creepy? And to that we say, yes, right? So now let's turn this, uh, our, our advice giving, our guidelines providing to the guys, right? And I think the, the first thing here is don't be creepy. And part of this could be uh, the tendency for men to think that they're a lot more attractive than they are, right? This is a, a fairly consistent research finding. Actually, when we did our episode with um, with the guys who wrote Good Guys, right? Uh, they they brought up this research that men are they consistently overestimate their attractiveness. So just because she's talking to you at the party does not, and in fact, it most oftentimes does not mean that she finds you attractive. She might be doing that because she's just genuinely genuinely interested in you professionally. Maybe she's just being polite. Maybe she's just trying to learn something. Who knows, right? Yeah, don't knock a good, don't screw up a good thing. Wow, yeah. I have more friends at work now. Perfect. Now let me screw it up with hitting on this person. Exactly. You know? yeah, <laughs> don't, yeah. don't mess up a good thing, bro. If people are talking to you, a variety of genders, and that's, that's going to help your career. That's all great. Yeah, absolutely. Don't mess it up. And you know, like I don't have this problem because, like, I just don't have a lot of women coming up and talking to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I think there is something there, right? And and uh, you know, don't don't assume that you're just you know God's gift to women out there. Um, I think also there's this issue of authenticity and integrity and and character that is just so important. And you and I talk about this a lot when it comes to. Uh, executives and how they behave. And sometimes we come across ones who don't really have much of a moral compass. They just kind of ended up where they were because of some really good technical expertise, perhaps, or other types of matters of luck and, and everything else. Uh, but, you know, if there's a difference between how you conduct yourself at work and how you conduct yourself maybe at church or, uh, you know, as you mentioned, in a, in a visit with the Queen of England um, and kind of how you want to be as a person well, then you need to you need to really do some soul searching and, you know, be someone who treats everyone in every situation with dignity and respect. Yeah, your internal person should be the same as your external person, except for uniform. It's OK when you get home to put on your pajama pants and a ratty T-shirt and watch trash TV. Right. To unwind. Maybe you kick open a Miller Lite. I don't know. Right. That's a, you wouldn't wear that to the Queen of England, but the person <laughs> you are, right, needs to be the same. So much of the imposter syndromes that I see out there is because there's a bunch of imposters for real. I just feel like an imposter. Well, look at the difference in your 
behavior with your parents and your behavior with how you treat your staff. It's completely different worlds. You're a real jerk to your staff. You make passes at the females in the office. You're a complete numbskull, right? You need to remove that delta. You need to be the same person. And then you don't have to sweat how to behave in any given moment. You have to be like, oh, no, I'll have to be on my best behavior. You know, if some dementia starts to slide in, you don't have to worry about being that weird lecher at the nursing home because you've already cultivated a default mode of being a good dude. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and so much of leadership is about and being a leader, I should say, more specifically, is about doing what's right even if it's unpopular or if it's not what is currently kind of the norm. And, you know, so much, there's so much garbage. Like if we just took that kind of the average of uh, how people are treated in society, I don't think that's really how we would want to behave, right? We want to elevate our organizations. We want to elevate how we treat people around us to a higher level. And that requires some, some distinct moral courage and leadership uh, to be different than everything else that's out there. Yeah, I mean, we're better. We're not like, it's not a common practice to hit a woman over the head with a club and drag her back to a cave, and that's how you secure your romantic partner for life. But that's a horrible benchmark, guys. <laughs> God, yeah. You know, like, so how much better do we need to do? Much better, much better than now, right? Until these complaints start going away. And I have to stop, you know, I, I will listen to these things because, you know, it's fine. That's what you do for a friend, right? But until these stories become less common to where they're very uncommon and jarring, we've got a long way to go. So how much better? I'll say much better than even now. That's right. So today on the Indigo Podcast, we've talked about how to deal with creepy guys at work. We talked about what do we even mean by creepy? how leaders and organizations should deal with this issue, and we gave some advice for people who are directly targeted by creepy guys and for guys in general. After releasing our episode on how to deal with creepy guys at work, we received some very thoughtful feedback from a few different sources, and it made us think about the topic in a different way. It made us think about uh, how we addressed the topic in the episode on how to deal with creepy guys at work. And so we really wanted to do this topic justice. We wanted to expand our thinking a little bit more and include another voice in the conversation. And so to do that, we brought in our good friend, Kelsey Pitlick. And Kelsey Pitlick co-founded Guild Collective in the spring of 2015, which is a firm that changes individual views and behaviors to shift workplace cultures and break down gender barriers. Through thoughtfully designed leadership workshops and gender inclusion trainings, Guild aims to close the leadership development gap for women and create an inclusive environment for underrepresented talent to thrive. And so we thought Kelsey was the perfect person to bring on to have a conversation about this. She listened to our original episode, and we had a number of conversations with her, as well as conversations with a number of different women from all different types of circumstances to get a bigger bigger picture, I guess, on this whole topic, which, I mean, it's a big topic. There it is an entire spectrum, uh, a landscape, so to speak, of types of issues related to creepy guys, creepiness in general, sexual harassment, sexual assault. There are many different topics going on here. And so I guess maybe uh, what I'd like to do is, Chris, perhaps if you want to offer a couple comments, but then I really want to hear from Kelsey about what she thought about the episode and maybe provide a few different thoughts that we can react to. 
Yeah. So this, I like the term landscape because they're in a landscape. You've got peaks, you got valleys, and you've got plains where everything's just flat. And the landscape for men and for women in this space is different. And in the current social environment, it's often super fraught. And because everybody's kind of has their spidey sense alert on this thing, which is important. That's good. That's really benefiting us. It's almost impossible to do like a under 20 hour session on this and really check <laughs> all the boxes. And our intent is to be shameless advocates for women in the workplace and unapologetically trying to do our part and getting better and better and better at doing our parts in this space. But, you know, why not have, you know, if we're talking about women who are often, you know, the butt end of the creepy guys discussion, why not have an actual woman on to discuss it? And so that's, you know, Kelsey, it couldn't have been a better person. Well, thank you so much for having me and including me in in the conversation. Excited to kind of dig into some of the points from the podcast and some thoughts that I had as well. Awesome. So Kelsey, maybe where we could start is just tell, I mean, you listened to the episode, you probably listened yeah. uh, even more carefully to it after we said, hey, we would like to hear your thoughts on it and yeah. do this short segment with you. Um, what did you think? What were some of your reactions? Yeah, so I think there were so many great points coming out of the podcast. I think, you know, everything that you really honed in on around leaders really valuing their employees in the workplace and recognizing even what it means to value those employees in the workplace, being able to understand different experiences and recognize what valuing and what supporting their employees looks like, I think is so critical and such a such a big point from, from the podcast that really resonated with me. And another area that I thought was really interesting was the research that you shared on what, what, what are some of those perceived characteristics of creepiness and the research around, you know, what that looks like. And a lot of those things being related to looks and appearance. So judging someone for their appearance, maybe some of those physical characteristics like having pale skin, um, you know, the, the bulging eyes, dirty hair, things like that, that can often bring up a lot of our personal biases and probably a lot of our unconscious biases and recognizing that there are opportunities to kind of check ourselves when we're reacting to some of those physical traits that someone can't control, but really starting to recognize and differentiate between those physical characteristics of perceived creepiness and the behaviors of actual creepiness. And that's where I would say for me, the message in, in the original podcast got a little bit muddled in terms of what, what the examples were of what creepy actually is or what creepy looks like in the workplace. So I think some of the examples that were used was the overly affectionate person who's giving you a hug and a kiss on the cheek or other types of physical touch that may be unwelcome, that make you feel uncomfortable. And I think those examples for me really fall into the category of sexual harassment. And so starting to separate that touch and that physical touch, which 
probably starts to fall into that category of sexual harassment, as opposed to what are the things that are actually at the start of that continuum of harm that you talked about. I love that, that idea that the creepiness at the beginning is really that first point of inappropriate behavior. And that's where we want to really nip things in the bud. So that was sort of my, my overall reaction. And we can kind of dig into some of the pieces there, but I think overall, if we can get more clear on what that, that creepy behavior is that puts us out of the green of the continuum of harm, and then moves along that spectrum to the point where that touching is accepted or sexual harassment is accepted. Um, that's where we can kind of focus a little bit more. Yeah. It's so, it's so challenging. Um, you know, we're born into this world and we don't get to pick the physical attributes that we have. And so, um, who was the guy that played Edward scissors hands? What is that? What are the Burton movies? Tim Burton. Oh, I have no idea. Right, right. Tim, <laughs> Tim Burton. There's we right. There's movie stars that kind of play these perennial creepy roles um, yeah. that they just look kind of creepy. And so they do those roles in movies. That's great. If you get to be a movie star, that's not so great when you're just trying to go to work, sit in your cubicle and not be bugged for looking kind of creepy and go home every day. Yeah. And, well, so of course you don't get to choose your, necessarily a lot of aspects of your physical appearance which may or may not be perceived as creepy by other people but you do have control and we all have to have accountability for our own our behavior right mm -hmm. and so that's where when we start to separate some of those perceived characteristics with those things that i think kelsey very um astutely categorized as sexual harassment right when you are doing things of a sexual nature that is unwelcomed in the workplace that is sexual harassment right and that can take a variety of different forms. We've actually done episodes on this before. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it is important to make that distinction. Um, so, you know, when we talk about that, that continuum of harm, uh, you know, they, once you start into the sexual harassment piece, you're already on the harm piece of that mm -hmm. continuum. And I think that's very important to highlight. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I can't speak to every woman's experience or even every person's experience with what, you know, in my book, I would sort of say is creepy behavior that I've been on the receiving end of. But, you know, you referenced referring to women as girls or those gender-based jokes, things like that, I think definitely fall into that category of, of creepy behavior. I think one that I've experienced is a lot of comments on my personal appearance. So things like, oh, well, you just need to smile and look pretty or things like that, that ultimately start to make you question, well, why is this person saying this to me? They're obviously having some, some different thoughts in their mind about what I think, um, you know, it takes to fundraise for a startup. They think I just need to stand there and smile um, whereas it takes a lot more work than that. So it just starts to, the, the, I think those creepy things can definitely be those more subtle things that even leave the women that experience them walking away, maybe questioning, was that inappropriate? Am I making, you know, am I maybe making too big of a deal about this? You know, what is creepy? What's making me uncomfortable? When the reality is if something's making you uncomfortable, then it is, it is inappropriate. There's probably something there that can and should be 
addressed in different ways. And again, everyone's experience is different. So I don't want to say those are the only things that are creepy. Those are just some of the things that I wanted to highlight that you had talked about and something that I've definitely experienced on my end. You know, as Chris mentioned in his comments, uh, he said that we really intended for our uh, episode to be about unapologetically advocating for women in the workplace and alongside that advocating for men to do their part, uh, which I think you know it, it, it shouldn't be up to women to make all the make men start behaving correctly, right? Men should be reinforcing these norms and enforcing these norms and setting the example even when women are not present. Uh, and one point that you had that I think is a really good one as we were discussing you know some of your thoughts about the episode, was that we talked about in in our original episode that you know leaders should do these types of things and yes leaders should do these types of things in terms of being an advocate or an ally for women uh, but it's not just for leaders it can be for anybody so you know anyone within the organization can act in a leadership capacity by being a uh, an advocate for what's right yeah absolutely and i think that one of the keys there is even for everyone in the organization to spend some time understanding what are those behaviors that make women uncomfortable? What are those things that maybe I am unintentionally, we, you know, if we give people the benefit of the doubt, kind of coming into it with the assumption that a lot of men just don't recognize that that joke or that comment might be perceived differently by the person that's receiving it. Um, or even that things may be perceived, even if it's not directed at a specific woman individually, if you're talking about, you know, making those gender-based jokes at a whole and as, as a whole, and someone overhears that, how does that impact them? How does that impact their feeling of inclusion within the organization? So I think even just asking questions, uh, doing research, understanding those biases that you may have related to women at work and the impact that those biases can have on the interactions that you have as well, because you probably don't recognize that maybe you have an expectation for a woman to behave a certain way and are kind of pushing back if she doesn't behave in that exact way. So starting to recognize those things and what may be um, inappropriate, perceived as creepy, or even um, kind of holding holding women in your organization back from advancing or feeling truly included, feeling like they can be them, their whole selves at work. Yeah, I think, you know, this has to start with a mission and values for your organization. You have to decide who you're going to be as a cohort of people trying to do something on this planet. And within that, you got to curate these key pieces of psychological safety for everyone right? Perceived organizational support and that that support is ubiquitous, no matter, you know, if you're a live person on this planet and you work here, you get that support. And then the stuff that we talk about all the time of creating a feedback culture, because regional flavors, global organizations, everybody's got a different flavor in that. And you're going to have to say, this is where we're going. We're going towards equity. Mm -hmm. And we're going to trip, I'm sure while we're, I mean, we're running as fast as we can. But we need your feedback to help us calibrate so local office flavors, regional flavors, you know, respect that landscape of different norms, right? You know, one thing that I thought was really uh, a good point that you brought up, Kelsey, another thing that we talked about is, you know, in our original episode, we said, 
you know, avoiding the inappropriate touching. Of course, you got to do all that stuff. But I mean, that's a pretty low bar, right, for yes. appropriate behavior. It's not just, okay, I'm not going to inappropriately touch or kiss the women in the workplace. Um, and, and it's also not the solution to just avoid women altogether. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I'd also like to hear your, your um, maybe your take on the situation that we posed in the episode about this perhaps a, a party where someone is acting in this way, um, kind of how the situation can really matter. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that idea of of context certainly matters. So that idea of, of course, nobody, you know, there's no, really no reason for people to be touching one another, but even the context of where you are. So whether you are in a meeting at the workplace or if you're at that late, late night Christmas party, you know, when you're thinking about the places where people are gathering, especially outside of work, recognizing that as an organization, as a leader, as an individual who's even inviting people out for some of those more informal gatherings, that you can be mindful of where you're doing those things. So saying, hey, everyone, let's go to the casino or, you know, let's go to this hotel bar. Those might make people more uncomfortable than saying, let's all go to a lunch in the middle of the day or even, you know, that that quick after work happy hour, I think, is a very different sense, a very different context because you want to make sure that there's not sort of a sense of, okay, well, I, I want to make sure I'm not being creepy. I want to make sure that nobody feels uncomfortable. So I'm just not going to invite women to some of these informal activities because so much um, informal mentorship happens, those connections happen that ultimately can and do advance individuals' careers. So as you're thinking about kind of that the ways to not be creepy, it's not to kind of shut things down altogether, but really to be mindful about what you're inviting people to, especially outside of the workplace and where it is and what is going to feel a little bit different than, again, that casino example is one that we've heard a few times that definitely kind of sends a, a, a wrong or different message in a, in a way, kind of feels like that boys club. Yeah, so let's let's just talk about advice for women because mm-hmm. you know, we had some advice for women and our intent is to uplift and say, "Hey, here's what we know." And, you know, some feedback was like, "Well, you should have a woman giving some advice for women." You know, Jack Wagon shouldn't be telling women what to do. So, well, Kelsey, you're here. What <laughs> advice would you have for women? So, in terms of advice, I think um The first thing that I will say is, and you touched on this earlier, but it is very frustrating to feel like as women that any of this should be your responsibility. So hopefully more men are learning how to really actively engage as allies and that will, if they're kind of the men policing men idea that will reduce the need for women to be addressing some of these situations. However, what I will say is that we are not there yet, or many organizations are not there yet. So what I kind of approach this as is that it's everyone's responsibility to push your organization to be more inclusive, to be an inclusive environment for everyone. I think this goes beyond gender um, 
certainly, but recognizing when there is an inappropriate situation, when bias is playing into different interactions and being able to address it in a variety of different ways. So that's sort of my, my disclaimer. This is frustrating. It is it is annoying. It makes you kind of stay up and be frustrated at night. Um, but, but it is work that we can all be doing to push our organizations and push, push all of us as individuals forward. Um, the other thing that I would say is that every situation is going to be very unique. So depending on your relationship with the person who may be exhibiting that inappropriate or creepy behavior, you, you know, you can give them feedback in that really direct way that you talked about in the podcast of, you know, hey, don't do that. Um, or, hey, this makes me uncomfortable. Please stop. And that may be effective in some some situations, but in others, it can be really beneficial to call someone in and approach things from this place of learning and growth. So helping someone understand kind of what made you uncomfortable, why it made you uncomfortable, and kind of approaching it from that perspective may help to reduce their feelings of defensiveness, which I think can come up a lot with this topic. Again, especially if somebody has those good intentions or isn't aware that defensiveness can come out. Um, So approaching it from that place of, hey, I just wanted to fill you in. I just wanted to let you know, kind of that call in instead of call out. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, And I think it's important, and I I will certainly recognize uh, or maybe foot stomp a little bit, reemphasize your point about it it is very frustrating that this is, uh, you know, for for women to feel like perhaps that this is uh, your responsibility. And and I think the point that men should take a a very active role in this is a really good point. Um, You know, another thing that you mentioned, and I think this is a, a really good point as well, uh, when we were prepping for this episode, is that you know there is this kind of dis- dichotomy or a, a a difference between creepy behavior and sexual harassment. If something is sexual harassment, you need to report that. And you know this is this is different perhaps from some of those creepy behaviors we we're talking about. And uh, you know this is probably something we could explore even more in a future podcast. We have done some uh, episodes that have touched on this topic, uh, but you know this is it, it's not. Uh, something that should be acceptable ever. Yeah. And I think that sometimes there's this feeling of, okay, well, you know, if it is this, this occasional hug or the kiss on the cheek, you know, that feeling of, oh, well, gosh, it's not that bad, or it could be worse. And that holds people back from sharing, sharing that or reporting that. But if you are uncomfortable, if you don't feel safe in your workplace, then it is time to report it. So not necessarily saying, oh, well, this person doesn't mean anything by this or they hug and kiss everyone. And so I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to mention it is is really doing the organization a disservice because if you're at that point, going back to that idea of the continuum of harm, you're sort of on on that path to allowing additional behaviors or allowing different things to kind of take place in the workplace. So kind of being aware of that and recognizing that your experience is valid and not feeling like you need to talk yourself out of it or have something, um, you know, have something happen that 
really makes you feel like, okay, this is, I absolutely have to report. So that's one thing that I would emphasize as well, because that's something I've heard from some of the clients and and people that we've worked with along the way. Yeah. And I want to bring up some of the people that I talked with do not work in cubicle white collar environments. Um, and I just want to recognize, right, one, it's a, it's a point of privilege to be able to just quit and go somewhere else. You know, I lived in Alabama for a while. I, you know, I was in the Alabama National Guard. Some people worked in towns where besides, you know, the, the Walmart and the local fast food establishment, there was only one or two employers in town. And if you didn't have the skill set, you know, you're just stuck. So it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to quit and go someplace else. It's also a privilege to be able to have an HR department and maybe one that'll actually listen to you rather than just say, hey, if you don't like it, go away. Um, and and I, w- I want to acknowledge that piece, but I feel like there's like three main paths that you can go on here. You cannot say anything. It's just maybe you have to just bear with it because there's no other options. And that's horrible. You know, this psychology of resilience really is going to have to kick in. Um, two, there's some kind of continuum of advocacy for yourself. Maybe you speak up when you feel like it might do well, but not say anything other times. Or you may be able to take a bold, bold stance in your organization if it's a toxic culture or something like that. And, you know, the third item is being able to leave. And not everybody has has that option. Yeah, and I think that goes back to that idea of every situation being very unique. And so there are definitely tools that you can utilize. There are things that you can implement in terms of your own communication, in terms of drawing your own boundaries. But ultimately, what you do is going to need to be the thing that's right for you. So seeking support, whether that's within your organization or outside of your organization, getting some guidance in terms of your experience there, too, uh, I think can be really helpful, really beneficial. And again, I think when we're talking about creepy behavior versus sexual harassment, there are different ways to approach those different situations, but ultimately your safety and your belonging in the organization are really critical. And those are the things that you can really focus on moving forward. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey, for being part of this conversation. I think we'll probably have more conversations in the future. I hope to, uh, on these and related topics. Uh, Kelsey, do you have anything else that you'd like to share related to our episode on how to deal with creepy guys at work? Or if you don't have anything else that you'd like to share on that, tell us uh, a little bit about how people may find you out there on the web. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we we covered a lot of my my big thoughts and big points along the way. Of course, I think there's a million things that we could get into and, and unpack throughout the episode. And I know that you will continue to do those things along the way in future podcasts as well. Um, but if anyone has questions for me, certainly, or just wants to chat through some of these things, um, you can find me. My name's Kelsey, K E L S E Y at guildcollective.com. It's G-I-L-D collective.com. Or you can kind of check out some of the work that we do at guildcollective.com. And, um, you know, really 
think that there's an interesting insight from you know, my own personal experiences, but also the experiences of the thousands of men and women that we've worked with over the years as well. So we've been in a lot of different organizations, a lot of different industries with a lot of different cultures and kind of recognizing, I think that's where my, my reinforcement of every situation is so unique really comes into play because um, we've learned so much from the different individuals that we've worked with and really want to be mindful and highlight those different experiences as well. So I think that's where I'll kind of pause again. I feel like I could talk about this forever, but I know we'll have some future conversations as well. Wonderful. We'll leave it there, Kelsey. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming out to the Indigo podcast, Kelsey. It was really great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Indigo podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.